Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can subscribe to our magazine at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Uh, find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Dave Campbell's. Find us on Twitter at DCTF. Uh, as always, we've got Ishmael Johnson in the house. Ish, how you doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. And uh, it's finally interesting to, I'd say, to have a little bit more to talk about with each of these teams this week. Yeah. I mean, this is where you kind of start getting some teams getting into early conference play. I mean, obviously, Texas, uh, you know, I, I know a couple of the Conference USA teams finally starting mm-hmm. to play some teams that are good. I, I think you just learn so much more from these games, don't you? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. It's like we're done with, or at least almost done with the you know the money games the things where they're not not playing teams of their caliber or maybe over their caliber um this week in particular it it wasn't even like not everybody started conference play but it just seemed like this week in particular everyone was more or less on the same playing field yeah yeah and i think that matters and and the other nice thing too is that once you kind of start getting into conference play you really start Mm -hmm. getting games that are spread out a little bit more time wise because the first three weeks of the year man it's killer everything is a night game because everybody's playing on you know espn plus or espn three but like once you start getting into conference play then everybody's trying to actually get seen and then and then you kind of get more of the the (laughs) 11 o'clock starts and the 230s right and again i I was talking a little bit before but you know this was my first game this weekend i was down at uh, a&m versus auburn this was my first Mm -hmm. game that wasn't a night game and so like i just didn't I just didn't pace it right. Like I just w- woke up at like, cause I mean, I'd been traveling. Like, so I woke up like sure, a little sure. on the late end and was like, okay, when should I leave? And then ended up leaving my hotel at like noon. It was like, well, maybe could have done better than that. And see, it, it just, it just all happens. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, it's like an hour and a half until kickoff. And I wanted to get more right. done. Oh, uh, well, you know, that's life. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, like I mentioned, I was at Texas A&M versus Auburn this weekend, uh, but uh, I barely watched that. I mean, okay, obviously I watched the game. I was there, but uh, right. but I was paying attention way more to another game that we're going to get to in just a second. Uh, but yep. let's go ahead and get started. So uh, we actually have a new team at number 12 this week in the College Power Bowl. Can you guess who it is? Is it the UTSA Roadrunners? Unfortunately, it's the UTSA Roadrunners. So, oh, so, so here's the issue right now, right? Is that, mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. UTEP is every bit as bad and, and you know, still trying to figure it all out. But I have right. seen at least two relatively positive data points for UTEP because, you know, I mean, they lost this weekend, but they really showed some signs. They led at halftime against Nevada. Like, and Nevada's a bowl team. You know, I mean, they're not, mm-hmm. they're not a bad team. And with UTSA, it's just looking more and more like that Incarnate Word game was just that, an FCS game, you know? And Yeah, it, it, was, it was really frustrating because I think we talked about during the week, you know, UTSA gets up for this game against North Texas, or they have in the past, right? Right, right. Um, a lot of these guys know each other, or there's like a regional thing with San Antonio versus DFW. And, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if you want to put it, you know, partially that Frank Harris goes out, so they kind of get deflated. Part. It's a big, big part. It's 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 a big part, but it's also like, I mean, Frank Harris isn't going to help them tackle. No. 
No. <laughs> and that was kind of the biggest issue was that they they just looked like they didn't belong in the same field, you know, athletically. Right. Which and un- understandably, you know, the offense obviously stalled, but defensively, like they just didn't look like they even recruited. FBS players at the at the at the same time as North Texas. I don't know. Like North Texas was able to do whatever they wanted, um, however they wanted. Mason Fine didn't even have that spectacular of a game, and they were just able to move the ball at will. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing, you know. So so week one they went thirty five to seven, but then you know we look across uh, at FCS this week and just see mm-hmm. Sam Houston State just blast the hell out of Incarnate Word, and that right. that just makes it feel even worse, right? And then you look yeah. at the next three games. 62, 63 to 14 against Baylor. And I mean, again, that's not like the worst thing, but then 31 sure. 13 against Army. You know, you really wish they could have stuck around a little bit more. And now 45 to 3 versus North Texas. It, it's just, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. It's, you just wanted to see more from them. And at this point, again, you look at the data points, and the best data point that you have right at this moment is, is beating what looks to be probably a pretty average FCS team. And, that's yep. just at this moment. Again, I don't think that UTSA is necessarily worse than UTEP, but at this moment, mm-hmm. just the way that they're trending, the way that they're playing, and and this is so much further than just Frank Harris. This is about yeah. you know a team wide effort. What I've seen so far, they are playing like the worst team in the state right now. So, right. Uh, moving on to number eleven, uh, UTEP. They move up a spot. They do show some things. I mean, defensively, they've actually looked pretty good this season. Uh, they've. Mm-hmm. Cause some issues. And again, I mean, we mentioned uh, last week, but Houston Baptist, they pick up another win this week against Northwestern State. And suddenly, you know, maybe maybe Houston Baptist just isn't that bad, you know? Right. Um, and then, you know, you, you kind of have those other data points that you feel okay about. So um, at this point, UTEP is at number 11. Those two teams right now are pretty far below these this next group. Uh, number 10, I've still got Texas State. Uh, mm-hmm. Texas State and Rice kind of in that next tier for me, and Rice being number nine. Uh, Rice, I, let's start with them. Rice really <laughs> makes things a little interesting against Baylor there. <sighs> yeah, how about, how about that? Like, I I kind of said during the week that I was expecting to get the Charlie Brewer game. Yeah. And we kind of did. Yeah. But, like, it wasn't – it didn't come at the – it didn't come along with the rest of Baylor kind of showing out and flexing a little bit. It was just like, hey, we kind of need Charlie Brewer to have a good game because Rice is really stingy and really, really frustrating right now. Well, it's funny because you look, first of all, you watch the game and just see the way that they play, that Baylor played offense against them, and they were yep. pretty efficient, and Charlie Brewer mm-hmm. kind of had his way basically whenever he mm-hmm. wanted, but there were just enough mistakes by Baylor and that the game kind of just kept going back Rice's way. And the other thing, yep. too, is that, and this is what Rice wants to be. You kind of saw what Rice wants to be in this game uh, to some extent. They want to be a team that mucks everything up, that takes the ball mm-hmm. out of your offense's hands. I mean, they're not going to be like an option team per se in terms of effectiveness, but that's kind of the model that they're going for. They're going for the right. ball control, you know, get you out of a rhythm. Because the thing, too, about Baylor is that they only had four second-half drives. And... Wow. You know, and that's that's tough. I mean, when, no matter who you are, I think they had 24 second half plays total, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's just so hard to get in a rhythm. And and even when you're scoring and even when you're playing well, it, I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what Rice can do to you. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I think that Rice has, you know, three pretty positive data points so far. Uh, you know, the, the loss to Texas being the one that kind of got out of their hands. But mm-hmm. um, and then number 10, Texas State. Uh, <laughs> so what do you think? Should this game yeah. have gone to overtime? Uh oh man. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna look at this from a positive perspective. Sure. Um 
we've known the defense is better than the numbers indicate. Definitely. Right, because right now I believe that the numbers indicate that the defense is one of the worst in the nation. It's not. Um, but, right, it's not. They've played really well against against Wyoming. They played A&M okay. And then they... They played, um, played SMU pretty well. Right, exactly. And so looking at this game and looking at 37-34 in double overtime. Or triple, triple overtime, overtime yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna give this a plus for the offense, yeah. Because the defense was a was bound to have something like this, sure. where the game, where the where things don't go right. Georgia State's hitting big plays. Uh, I believe Destin Coates had a 44 yard touchdown run. Um, Dan Ellington was decent. He wasn't great, but he was hitting some passes. And the def- you know, the defense wasn't gonna be perfect all year, right? right? They were gonna right, have right. a game where they play where they played way below their expectation. And I think the the fact that the offense was able to kind of more or less bail them out. Gresh Jensen wasn't great, but t- t- uh, Caleb Twyford was able to run the ball really effectively, um, which they kept doing. They rushed 50 times in this game, which I really, really appreciate. Um, averaged 4.4 yards a carry, and they stuck with it, right? They didn't abandon the run. They knew they had some success there. They saw that, okay, Georgia State wasn't going to give up anything big as far as passing goes. And so they kept with what was working. And no, the defense, yes, the defense is a concern, um, was a concern this game, but I think that they pulled, the fact that they pulled out a win when the defense wasn't able to get off the field consistently is a plus. And I mean, no, Gresh Jensen didn't really win me over, uh, back (laughs) over as as the quarterback, but I mean, what are you going to do, right? Uh, you had, you had chances to win this game. And you took them. Granted, uh, Georgia State's awesome kicker had to miss like some chip shot field goals in the end to, <laughs> right. to uh, for for you to have a chance. But you took it and you won. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that the biggest uh, the biggest positive that you take away from this game is that one uh, that Texas State isn't going to abandon the run against teams that are kind of at their same level um, because sure. because they kind of had to obviously in some of these early games because they just couldn't compete mm-hmm. up front. So it's nice right. to see that that. Texas State's going to be able to run the ball fairly effectively, I think, uh, in Sunbelt play, because that was a big right. concern, I think. Um, and I think the other thing, too, is that you're happy to see that both Jake Spavadol and that Bob Stitt were just willing to to kind of let the quarterback game manage a little bit instead of trying to mm-hmm. win the game with him. Um, right. You know, and we talked about uh, the last two weeks, you know, we were worried that, that – um, teams were going to be able to take away sort of that intermediate passing game. And in this mm-hmm. game, it kind of opened up a little bit more. Um, you know, you kind of got some of that going and you didn't have to take these deep shots every single play. Um, sure. and, and it makes a big difference. And, uh, and and again, this is kind of what you expect when you move down a level of competition and play, you know, teams that are more at your level. Uh, that's what you hope mm-hmm. to see. And I think that uh, for all intents and purposes, obviously defensively, we wanted to see a little bit more, but um, but for all intents and purposes, I think we saw what we wanted to see. And uh, was Kev uh, Chardella, you know, our friend over at the Statesman, was he saying that this mm-hmm. was their first home conference win in like three years? Oh, I think he might be on to something with that because, let me see, 2016 they went one less. I'm looking at it right now. 2017 at Coastal was their only conference win. 2018 no they won one last year uh, last year they, oh, uh, they beat new mexico state 27 20 but is there it's only their second that's uh that's not a conference win though oh that's right yeah new mexico state was independent yeah. so yes you're right yeah that's that's insane so yeah three years that's that's crazy <laughs> well you know what <laughs> that's a big step for them regardless and uh and again that's sure. their that's their 
conference home opener. I mean, heck, not a yeah. bad start to the Jake's Babbitt here. And look at and right, exactly. And you look at it, look at this, look at it this way too. Nickel State coming up this weekend at home. Right. UL Monroe at home. Right. Two more winnable games coming up before you go to Arkansas State. Uh, you know, I think th- I said before this game would define their season, and I think it could. Um, you know, coming out with this win, going into an easier stretch of the schedule. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, anyway, the Tech State Radio Hour is now over. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on to Texas Tech. Uh, Texas Tech had a bye this week. They're still at number eight. Yep. Uh, okay. So I'm going to skip past TCU right now, number seven, because okay. um, we'll talk about them when we talk about SMU. <laughs> yep. Okay. Houston. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. So so they, <laughs> for a half, what a game. for a half, a game. they looked like what we expected them to look like coming into the year, right? Right. And, and granted, I mean, we've talked about it effusively, but, like, they had – one of the toughest non-conference stretches in the entire sport, right? They had to play mm-hmm. at Oklahoma, and then they had to play Washington State, you know, both top right. 20 teams. Um, although, I guess I guess if UCLA can do it, maybe they should have done it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, Houston, just, I, I don't even know what to say after this game, you know? So, so if you didn't watch the game, um, Houston goes and ties the game and then Tulane has the ball. It's like less than a minute left. We're just assuming that we're going to overtime. That's just the assumption. Right. And then they give up a big chunk play on a fake spike. A fake kneel. Yeah, a fake kneel. Yeah. A fake kneel. Yeah, fake kneel. Fake yeah, kneel. it wasn't a fake spike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a fake kneel and goes probably 25 yards. And then they run, wasn't it another trick play then? That I don't know if it was a I, trick. I can't remember. I it's, of, it's been so many yeah. days. <laughs> Um, but long story short, they uh, they find Jalen uh, Justin McMillan finds Jalen McCleskey, you know, a couple of Texas mm-hmm. guys connecting with each other, um, and McCleskey just runs it in. I mean, they were trying to just get into field goal range, but some poor tackling on that last play from McCleskey just ended the game. I'm okay, so I'm looking at it. I'm watching it right now, and it's it's a straight drop back. Okay, there's nothing okay. special. There's no trick play. It's just a straight drop back, and he hits McCleskey. And uh, let's see, the two defenders collide kind of at, at the point of contact. And then, I mean, I don't I don't know who this is, and I don't want to put him on blast, but I felt like that last defender kind of pulled up at the end. Yeah, I mean, I think that you just... Like, I, I, I really do. Game. Like, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at it right now, right. and he has an angle, and I don't know if he just thought he just wasn't going to, you know, right. he wasn't going to reach him. I mean, obviously, he's within arm's reach, so he probably could have made an effort if he saw that he could have got him but watching it i'm like uh, i felt like he pulled up a little bit right and and i mean again obviously it's late in the game and and you know i mean yeah. you're also tired at this point but but still that's the game you know that's the game right sure. there and uh right and uh, houston gave up 31 it was 31 to 3 after houston went out 28 uh 28 to 7 oh, man. 31 to 3 scoring run for Tulane oh, man. to put this away like yeah. I mean, and, and Tulane, obviously Tulane did what we thought they were going to do. You know, 50 carries, 325 on the ground, six and a half yards a carry. Great game for them. Justin McMillan had a okay game through the air. No, actually, not really okay, kind of terrible. But that last <laughs> touchdown pass kind of inflated it a little bit. Right. Um, he was 7 of 20 through the air. But, you know, like you said, it was a game of halves. Like Houston came out and you're like, okay, cool. Here's De'Aaron King running, throwing really well, hitting his targets. Cool. This is the offense we wanted to see. And then the sec- I don't know what happened in the second half because Tulane just, I don't know, they became a different team. Houston yeah. became a different team. And that was one of the more frustrating 
even, even considering the awesome ending right. from an objective <laughs> right. standpoint, that was one of the more frustrating games to watch. Yeah, well, hey, I mean, I think that the biggest takeaway from this game is that somebody in the Power Five, go hire Willie Fritz already, just... Guys, right. just I don't know how it Please. hasn't happened as yet. I don't understand. Uh, he was he was Georgia Southern before, right? That yeah, George. He was Georgia Southern. He was a let me see. I believe he was Sam Houston State, Georgia Southern, okay. and then let me let me double check. On and that. then Tulane. I'm pretty um, sure he came straight from Georgia Southern Tulane. to Tulane. So uh, right, you know he yeah it was, it was Central Missouri, Sam Houston State, Georgia Southern, Tulane. Man, and so so not to get on too long of a Willie Fritz tangent, but uh, but Fritz is kind of interesting because he runs. He runs this kind of unique offense because it looks kind of traditional when you're watching it, but it's kind of, mm-hmm. it has a lot of option concepts in it. So, right. so I mean, you know, you talk about uh, Justin McMillan only throwing 20 passes. I mean, that's what it does. You know, they run a lot yeah. of kind of, they basically run option out of the, uh, out of the, the shotgun. shotgun. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's really kind of unique to watch and it's kind of hard to prepare for. And you know, it just frees up your passing game, too, to where it can still be a factor mm-hmm. in it while you're still playing an option offense. So if you are literally any bottom-tier Power 5 team, got Rutgers, if you do not hire Willie Fritz, then just fold your whole right. freaking program. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, but moving on, number five, Texas A&M. Um, okay, so we... Yeah, what, 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 what's there to say about this game? Because I think... I mean, you were there, obviously. I'll let you, you know, go off in a second. I was, I was keeping track. I was kind of keeping track because uh, obviously we'll get to it. There was another game I was more, more paying attention to. Right. But Kellen Mond played okay. Yeah. But I felt like this was, and I saw a lot of comments from a lot of my Aggie friends on Twitter. This reminded a lot of people of what they didn't like about Noah Mazzoni. Yeah. And the play. Yeah, caller. yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's definitely a valid point. And I mean, one thing that you have to say is that. When you average 2.5 yards per carry, like mm-hmm. that's just not going to do it. When your running backs cannot create any separation, cannot make any holes, and on top of that, your your offensive line is probably more the issue than even the running backs. Uh, when you sure. just can't create any gaps, I mean, there's only so much you can do. But you know, the one thing that a lot of people were one talking about in the press box and two, you know, just kind of talking to people afterwards is mm-hmm. it is infuriating, honestly, that. Just, I guess, how rigid Jimbo Fisher and Daryl Dickey can be with that offense. Because, oh, for sure. Because you have, I mean, we've seen it. We saw it with him as a freshman. We saw it with him even at times last year. You have one of the most dynamic running quarterbacks in the SEC, right? Yeah. And their insistence on not running zone read or running very much RPO stuff is mm-hmm. insane, like, it's, it's absolutely insane. And not that you have to run it out every game. I mean, you know, that's that's kind of what they do with Sam at Texas. You know, they they keep it for the big game so that they don't have too much right. film on it. But, like... But they, have it in the, but they have it in the back pocket. Right. And the thing is, too, is, like, it's... I, I mean, like, Kellen's fast. Like, he's athletic. But that's not even really it. He's just very decisive as a runner, which you don't always right. see as a passer. And so he just gets to those spots so quickly. And yeah. and there were so many times in this game where you're just like, man, if they had just kind of dialed in a you know a designed run, a draw, a, you know, again running some read option, running some zone read, like you just feel like they could have had a couple more first downs, and you know yeah. had it just kept the ball moving because that was the biggest issue is that they couldn't have sustained drives. You know, when they when they had mm-hmm. success, it was chunk plays, and you just can't rely on that. And you know, I mean. <laughs> Obviously, when you're the quarterback, people are going to pile on you because you're the quarterback. But, like, 
Mm-hmm. You know, Kellen Mond was not one of the five biggest things wrong with this game for me. Like, I think no, I don't. I don't think I don't think he was either. I don't like. I feel like people will give him the give him the blame because it was like, oh, look, they can't, they don't trust him to make those throws, so they're not, you know, they're not dialing up the most complex things. It's like that's not, I don't know, that's not what I saw. No, no, no. I no, saw no. that. I saw like by design, they aren't. They're gonna not show their hand a lot, or they're not gonna. They're not. They're just. They're. They're not gonna let. <sighs> I don't want to say they don't trust Kellen Mond to not make throws, but they're just not going to give him the opportunity to make throws. Right. Well, and and like and you mentioned using his feet. Like, I mean, obviously that's a staple of Jimbo Fisher as a as a coach. You know, as the traditional pocket passing quarterback. You go back to EJ Manuel and Jameis Winston, and um, I kind of would have loved to have seen DeAndre Francois under him for multiple yeah. years because I, I feel Francois was actually the first mobile quarterback he's had. Right. Um, he had at Florida State, but that's just not been the thing that Fisher does and it's frustrating when he has a quarterback who can do that now and just chooses not to right well and and I think that when you watch Fisher offenses they just I I understand the little bits of brilliance within them for example you know I mean I think that he does a good job of I mean he's he's really good at the X's and O's he's really good at you know having a tight end run a seam that you know creates an opportunity for a receiver right like he's good at that stuff Mm -hmm. but I mean there's a reason that the sport is changing, especially at the college level. Yeah. You know, there's a reason that uh, that Alabama hired Mike Loxley. You know, there's a reason mm-hmm. that, you know, I mean, obviously it didn't work on Saturday, but there's a reason that Michigan hired Josh Gaddis. You know, there's a reason mm-hmm. that these teams are moving, uh, not necessarily just to spread. I don't think that's it, but they're moving to situations where they're just finding different ways to free up their quarterbacks, to protect their quarterbacks, to get receivers in space. Because ultimately, I mean, football, especially at the college level, is a – game built around hey let me get my really fast receiver in a one-on-one situation I mean that's what the sport comes down to and I I don't know I mean when you are tightening up the game and you know when you're playing in a phone booth and you're playing against Auburn's defensive line you're just not going to win you know Mm -hmm. so why are you and I get kind of trying to be what you are but like I don't know it's just I I feel like we're never going to see the most that Kellen Mond could give us at the college level, I guess is what it comes down to. You know, I, I, I get, no, I definitely can see that. And I'm wondering like, is Fisher just more or less biting his time with Mond until somebody like, you know, in two years, a Haynes King's ready to go yeah, or even a Calzada, somebody's ready, more seasoned and ready, more somebody who he trusts more to run his offense in the exact way it was supposed to be right yeah and and i think that haynes king is that guy for example like i mean i think that he is that i think he's a very good fit for what fisher wants to do but uh, i mean and he is a and like it should be noted like haynes king is also a running quarterback yeah but i feel like he's just better he's a he's a more polished passer than kellen mond yeah i think at at this when they were coming out of when they were coming out of yeah obviously mond's better now but (laughs) yes yes no exactly and so um and and i mean again you know there that's where kind of getting to pick your quarterbacks matters, you know, I mean, that's where, yeah. you know, cause you, you see, like, yeah, he didn't, he didn't pick him. Right. He didn't pick him. Right. When you kind of show up and you have to turn, especially when you step into the quarterback room that A&M had, like, I mean, again, I, I think Mon's a good football player, but I, do too. But I, I, do too. I think that, like you said, it's just so much about fit. And I think that's going to be an issue just for the next, you know, I guess year and a half with Mond and, and, you know, I mean, I think that he is more than good enough to to win you games and win you a lot of games. Sure. But uh, sure. but I don't think that we're going to see the perfect sort of Fisher thing until, like you said, until we get Haynes King or Zach Calzada eventually in there, or if they, I don't know, add somebody. Uh, so right. 
I don't know. I mean, I I hate talking about Mon this much because again, he was not the issue. But but no, absolutely not. Like it was it was the issue was hey Auburn's a better team. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the issue was they played a better football team and. Auburn's front seven was exactly what we thought it was, right. which is probably the best in the country. Right. And, and the last thing I want to say on this is that when I mean, and when I talk about Mond too, this is much less talking about Mond and more the decisions that they decide to make with Mond. So sure. So anyway, well, that, that's probably enough on that. Um, okay, so number four, North Texas. I, I moved them up quite mm. a bit after last week, and the biggest thing I can say about this game now, one, UTSA just looks not very good, but the biggest takeaway that I take from this game is that. Thank freaking goodness, North Texas is actually good. They've just been playing really good teams. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, cool. They're playing a CUSA team now. They're just going to torch them. Right. And just, just absolutely set Apogee on fire and put on a show because that was, that was awesome. Yeah, well, because you look at their two losses right now. I mean, they look pretty freaking good with, with SMU, who all of a sudden yeah. looks like I mean, again, well, they should, they should be breaking the top 25. They, like, they should I be would, real, they should be real soon, real soon. And, um, so, you know, you lose to SMU and then you lose to Cal, but kind of have a chance to win it there at the end mm-hmm. on, the road, on the road at Cal. And I mean, Cal is four and O they've beaten Washington. They beat Ole Miss this weekend. Like this might, I mean, UNT might still be like a really elite team and just not be as good as those two teams. Right, and and that's not, I mean that's nothing that's nothing to sneeze at either because you have, I mean you have th- th- this week's going to be really interesting because we're going to see definitely okay and now here here's a team maybe maybe a, a slight peg above them I would I would anticipate in terms of like overall talent and quality I think so um and so honestly God this next three game stretch you got Houston at Southern Miss and then Middle Tennessee it's a critical so you got one. a solid. That's a solid, solid stretch there of teams that, you know, you, I mean, two and one isn't really out of the question. I, th- I think two and one should be the absolute minimum. Yeah. Um, but 0 oh and 3, 1 and 2 is absolutely possible. Yeah. Well, and, and this is, I think, where you kind of have to go and, I mean, for lack of a better term, you need to go and win the South, of the, uh, not the South, win Conference USA. Uh, in, oh, in sure. This, yeah, this is the year. Weeks. And, Right. And and so you know you get uh, you get Southern Miss on the road. I I think that heading into the year that was the game that I had circled most on my calendar. That was the game where mm-hmm. I was like, I think that Southern Miss. I mean you know everybody everybody only saw them against Mississippi State and Alabama. Obviously they're you know mm-hmm. not as good as those teams, but uh, but I think that they have a chance to be really good this year with a with a upperclassman quarterback with a consistently really good defense. Um, to me, they are UNT's biggest competition in the West. And mm-hmm. so if you can go on the road and win that game, then the rest of the schedule actually looks pretty easy because you get Middle Tennessee at home, at Charlotte versus UTEP, at Louisiana Tech, which is another kind of critical game, uh, at Rice versus UAB, who lost a whole lot. So Now, I will say, there's the big news that came out for UNT yesterday, though, was Rico Bussey. Yeah. Oh. Um, torn ACL, out for the year. Um, devastating loss, obviously. Uh, losing your number one guy like that. And, I mean, who do, you, who do you expect? I mean, we can kind of hint on it in the preview as well uh, this week, later this week. But, you know, Trey Siggers has been playing really well as the running as the running option. Definitely. Um, who do you expect to step up in his in Bussy's absence, though? Yeah, I, I think that Jalen Darden really has to be that guy. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, we've kind of seen we've seen a lot from him the past couple of seasons. But 
like you said, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you go from maybe having an elite conference UNSA group with uh, with Rico Bussy to now kind of having a good group, but but definitely a more unproven group. But but I think that Jalen mm-hmm. Darden's definitely the guy that that everybody should be looking at to step up. Um, I, I would also expect, I mean, we saw it this weekend too, for more uh, running backs to get involved in the receiving game too. We saw DeAndre Torrey right. was actually their top uh, receiver, receiver, excuse me. Uh, Jair Shorter has looked pretty good uh, so far this year from Colleen. Um, you know, there's options. They've got a lot of bodies. And, uh, and I mean, that's a nice thing is when, one, when you're recruiting Texas, and two, when you're Seth Luttrell and you kind of have a reputation now, uh, you're able to get receivers in the door. Um, you know, so that's a position where at least you feel like, okay, it, it really sucks to lose a player as good as Rico Bussy, a guy who we think is as good as anybody in the state. But at least that's mm-hmm. a position where you feel like you have some depth. Sure. But, yeah, I mean, that's going to be critical. That's going to be critical for them. So, uh, you know, I mean, again, if they lose to Houston this week, that's by no means the end of the world because you still are playing up a level of competition. But that Southern Miss game, I think, on the road is going to be a critical game. And and if they can go and win that game, I think that they are – I mean, even even now, I think that they're as good as anybody in Conference USA. I think that that's very mm-hmm. obvious. And oh, definitely. And so if you if you can go on the road and beat Southern Miss, I think you are in the driver's seat to then go and make the uh, the Kisa title game. So, uh, yeah. Again, <laughs> more than anything, I'm just happy that North Texas seems to be back on track uh, now that they're playing similar level of competition. <laughs> um, number three, Baylor. Uh, not the best showing for sure this week from the Bears for against sure. Rice, but I mean. It, they were playing on the road. It's a thing that happens. I mean, you know, this is this is what Rice wants to do. They want to make you not want to play them. And, you know, you look at some of these efficiency numbers, and Baylor was incredibly efficient on both sides of the ball and just made some mistakes. And and so I'm, I'm not going to freak out about this game by any means. Yeah, no, I, got, I mean, I got nothing really else to add. Um, I think, if anything... I think it just shows that Rice might be real, uh, pretty solid this yeah. year. And I think, I mean, honestly, I can't think of a more impressive 0-4 team in the country <laughs> than Rice. Uh, just because no when you look at where they were uh, last year, where their you know, overall program building philosophy kind of has to be, and the teams they've played. So, I mean, I, I, look, I, I wouldn't worry about this too much if I'm Baylor. You've shown, they've shown enough until up until now yeah. that they're allowed to stumble here and there. Yeah, yeah. Well, this week against Iowa State is going to be the real, real test. Uh, Ooh, yeah. yeah, at home, too. Fun at home. So, that, yeah. so that should be a lot of fun. Um, okay, okay. Let's. It, number one is Texas. Uh, Texas made some good uh, made some good inroads against Oklahoma State. Um, Sam Ellinger, I mean, I, the one thing I will say about Texas right now is that Sam Ellinger is asserting himself as the number one quarterback in this state. Yep. I mean, he's, he's yeah, been it's, really it's, impressive. He, this is the second time he's battled a offense and an opposing quarterback who can put up just as much as they can. Yeah. And he's been right. He has not been the reason they've lost. Right. No. Traditionally in the past, it's been, oh, uh, you're waiting for that Ellinger turnover or you're waiting for, you know, them to force him to throw the ball. And he's just not quite there yet as a passer. He's there. And he's there right now. And, I mean, and we, we we hinted at it earlier with when we were talking about Mond, but, I mean, there's there's oh, he's getting it done with his arm. And, by the way, he's still a great runner. Right. And so, at the end, when they needed to ice the game away, what they do? They called his number, and he gets the first down, and they salt the game away. Um, and heading into this game, we said that the, the offense is going to be the reason they win because 
Sanders and this off the Oklahoma State offense is going to put up points. They're going to put up numbers, and they did. But also credit to the defense. They forced Sam, uh, Spencer Sanders into two turnovers. Yep. Um, one of them was a direct force for uh, I forgot who hit his arm. I think it was Coburn. Uh, I, I couldn't remember who yeah. exactly. I can't, I can't remember who exactly hit his arm, but uh, got to him, forced him, forced him to into a duck throw, um, and got a pick. And then they forced another one later. I mean. Spencer Sanders was impressive, and they still got to him as much as they could. Tylen Wallace did not go off as I think I thought he would. Yeah, no, they did a good job against him. And, I mean, every, every catch that he made, it was through true double coverage. You know, it was just him, right. him it was, being crazy. It was, it was an impressive, yeah, athletic feat from him. And, like, there was one pretty decent throw from yeah. Spencer Sanders. But for the most part, it was just like, eh, go do what you do. And yeah. just threw it up. Yeah, overall pretty impressive effort, I think, from Tex. But anyway, uh, actually, the last thing I need to say, Sam Ellinger right now, Number four in the country in passing touchdowns. So, and, and that doesn't count. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's, I know that people talk a lot of junk about his, you know, whatever, whatever you want to say, you know, his unorthodox throwing motion, him taking a little bit mm-hmm. longer on his throws. But, I mean, the reality is, if you look at these numbers right now, he's one of, he's, he's play, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country right yeah. now. Yeah. Like, and you, you, we have to be looking at him as exactly that because, I mean, I don't know what else you want him to do, right? Yeah. We, we his, his, I remember his freshman year, again, it was the turnovers. It was, Definitely. oh, he's like, can't do this, can't do that. Um, last year it was, oh, can you make him throw? Can he, can he win games with his arm? It's like, he's doing that this year. He's yes. winning games with his arm. And he's not, you know, we were worried about kind of his durability as a runner. And it's like, that hasn't mattered because he hasn't had to run. No, no. At this point, at this moment, excuse me, uh, he's completed 73% of his passes for over 1200 yards 15 touchdowns one interception so and, and again keep in mind he's played against both lsu one of the best defenses in america and oklahoma state mm-hmm. so yeah I, and looking at his jump i'm looking at his year-to-year jump so yeah. 2017 57 completion yeah 11 11 touchdowns seven interceptions last year 64 percent completion 25 touchdowns five interceptions this year like you mentioned 72 or basically 73 15 touchdowns to one or every single yeah. number has gotten better with him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's talk about SMU. Yep. All right. All right. So. Oh man. So I. I mean, I went on random tangents about how high I was on SMU well before the season started, and uh, sure. and obviously last week too, but I don't even think I saw it happening like this. He, I I I don't think anybody did. <laughs> right. Like I did, I don't think. I think we knew that the offense would be good. Right, right. With Shane Bichelle, they get a they get a better quarterback. They get a quarterback who's more wedded to the system. Sonny Dykes, second year under Sonny Dykes. I knew we thought they'd be good. I didn't think they would be good along with the defense also being pretty solid and being able to, and then them having other ways to also move the ball. Yeah, I don't think that I thought it would be uh, Shane Bichelle throwing fifty times a game, and you know, oh, he's you know he's going to be leading the country in passing, and it, it hasn't been that. It's been balance. It's been salty defense it's been uh just kind of i don't know and you mentioned it on twitter a little bit where it's like they have transfers from all over the country and it's showing like they have talent yeah and top level talent all over the field because of these guys they brought in and that it's it's been something that's been missing from this team when they play teams like tcu yeah well and and the common respite is that well, TCU and SMU will kind of stay close, but then SMU just doesn't have the horses. Well, they've got the horses now. 
I mean, <laughs> right. and it helps, obviously, that they get off to a little bit of a lead because you did see kind of TCU starting to, to physically overpower them down at the end. But, right. but I mean, they had enough horses to kind of stick with it for close to four quarters. And, um, you know, and that's not to say that, obviously, that, you know, you play a nine-game conference schedule that it would stick up. But against a team for one week that wants to beat you real bad, I mean, they mm-hmm. have the talent to do it. And I think that the unit that I was most impressed by uh, for SMU was that offensive line because TCU's, oh, sure. TCU's front four, I mean, they're they're terrifying, right? You know, I mean, you've got Shamik Blackshear, <laughs> a former top 100 recruit, O'Shawn Mathis, mm-hmm. who's as hyped a guy as uh, Gary Patterson has ever had on the edge. Ross Blacklock, who we named our best defensive lineman uh, coming into the year, and then Terrell mm-hmm. Cooper, another guy who, with Blacklock out last year, really broke out. And those guys combined for zero tackles for loss. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's... the If they... I mean, when do we start talking about them with UCF as a legit like as a legit contender because right now they obviously they can win AC, the AAC like that's, that's that's in the realm of possibility but like at one point do we say like they should be one of the favorites in the conference I think that right now at this moment it's them in Memphis in the west and I don't think that there's that should be, that's fair I, I don't think that there's necessarily anybody else that you can expect to, to be mm-hmm. right there with them and now they have to play Memphis on the road and they have to play Houston mm-hmm. on the road. And those are two mm-hmm. games that you kind of wish you didn't have to play on the road. But, right. but, you know, you look at the rest of the schedule at USF. USF's looked pretty bad so far. Now, mm-hmm. the one thing that you do say is that, uh, I mean, three of their four big wins have come in the Metroplex, even though TC was on the road. You know, so it's going to be For a little sure. different. It's going to be a little different than Tulsa at home. Tulsa's actually looked pretty good, but you still should be able to beat them. Temple at home. Temple's look pretty good, but, again, you get them at home at least. At Houston. I will say USF isn't, they're not good, yeah. but they have not beaten one of the directional Florida schools yet. Or sorry, they beat South Florida once 16 to 6 in 2013. Yeah. That was the last time they beat either of either of UCF or USF. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it, it's a tough thing. And I mean, the reality is too, is like USF is still a talented team. You know, I mean, they haven't sure. played very well, but but Charlie Strong has built up the talent there. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, so so you have at Houston at Memphis, where I think the conference will kind of be decided, and then ECU at Navy versus Tulane, and you hope you can win those three games. So it's there for them, you know. It's it's yeah. all right there for them, and and again, I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's like last season when they were winning games, it was because the defense was playing pretty dang well, and Ben mm-hmm. Hicks didn't make too many mistakes. Well, this year you can run the ball at a pretty high level against anybody. You know, Xavier mm-hmm. Jones is back. You know, this is what we expected yeah. to see from him last year, and he was just dealing with injuries and learning a new system, and it just never clicked. But this year, between Xavier Jones, Kamon Freeman, and even, uh, you know, he didn't play very much this week, but TJ McDaniel, between those three mm-hmm. guys, they can run the ball. And the other thing, too, that most group of five teams just do not have is that, you know, there are teams that have a James Prochet. You know, it, it mm-hmm. exists out there. But there's right. basically no group of five team that has both James Prochet and Reggie Robertson. Like, <laughs> there's nobody that you can just say, okay, well, we're going to double up your top NFL-level receiver, and we have another one. You know, that just doesn't right. <laughs> happen. Yep. And so... Yeah, and I'm... And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, go ahead and finish. No, 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 no. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. 
um, well, I wanted to, I wanted to hit on TCU a bit, so I'm, yeah. I'm going to let you wrap up your SMU. No, I mean, tangent. so so with SMU too, and then defensively, I mean, they've been able to win up front uh, against right. a lot of different teams, and you know, heading into this game, I mean, Max Duggan's numbers actually ended up being respectable because uh, SMU's defense was kind of worn down by the fourth quarter, but mm-hmm. after at halftime, he had completed one pass, and right. after the third quarter he had 70 passing yards. So he had 110 passing yards in the fourth quarter for a variety of reasons, but like mm-hmm. SMU took it to them. I mean, he ma- oh, they sure. made the game it, hard. It, right. They, I mean, they looked like the team that we expected TCU to look like. Right. They were winning up front. They were making incredible plays that, you know, with superior athletes, which we, which we did not expect. Um, again, they looked like the team. They looked like the Big 12 team for most of that game. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was very impressive. Now, now go ahead. Talk about TCU. I want to s- – I think TCU should be encouraged by Max Duggan's second half. Yeah. Um, because, yes, SMU got worn down a little bit. And, obviously, when they had a chance to win the game at the very end and he, you know, couldn't make the throws. But, again, true freshman, what, what do you expect? But I think there were some throws there in the middle, in the middle in the uh, uh, late – early fourth, late third, and some drives that – I kind of saw something, and I don't think you can roll out Alex Delton anymore. No. Oh, gosh, no. I think after, well, one, obviously he's limited as a passer, and you know exactly what he is because he's a graduate transfer and he's not going to get any better. Um, Wasn't spectacular, no, but he made some throws. There were some, uh, I'm trying to think of the Yeah coverage uh he had a small window in between like three defenders i think inside inside the but a work down the field somewhat give him a chance to win at the end obviously they couldn't close the deal but there's no to me there's no way that you can bench max duggan and there's no way you can bench max duggan you baldwin is ready to go which i just don't think he is right now no but I think I think you have to ride. I think you have to. Well, the one thing that I'll say there too is that mm-hmm. while Duggan's numbers, especially through the first three quarters, were pretty bad, it wasn't mm-hmm. all his fault. You know, I mean, there was right. yeah. his receivers were not doing him any favors. I, I really, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and ultimately too, there's a certain level too where you just need your coaching staff to game plan a little better to, to get him easy reads to Jalen Rager. I mean, you just have to, right. and they didn't at all. I mean, they, yeah, they, they was, he had, he had two catches, right? Like that, that can't happen. I don't care how much they're trying to take him away. He's one of the, he's the best receiver in the state right now. And, For sure. and I mean, I don't care how much team scheme to take him away. Like you have to find ways to get him opportunities. But other than that, I mean, I wasn't that impressed with the rest of their receiving core. I, I just don't think that they did a good job of trying to free up some guys, of trying to mm-hmm. of getting separation on these SMU defensive backs. And and again, I mean, like I've talked about, Kevin Can, their defensive coordinator, is a big time DC. Like he he can do that. He has that ability, yeah. and they've got the talent to do it now too. But at the same time, like your TCU receivers, you're supposed to break away. You're supposed to you know free up and. And if you're not going to give Max Duggan help, I, I don't know what you expect him to do. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that Derry Sanderson, for like the first time in his whole career, had two great games in a row, uh, which is definitely something to build off of. Um, now, the issue was that obviously the rest of the rushing game was pretty, pretty disappointing. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, Shea Lua kind of five carries for seven yards and he fumbled. You know, that that can't happen. You know, <laughs> they right. just can't. You need right, – at this moment, um, you know, you kind of feel like, okay – uh, well, and, and the one carry that Jalen Rager got actually went for 29 yards. I don't know why you're not trying to do that more like you did last season. But, um, you know, at this moment, Darius Anderson is something that you can rely on in this offense. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see whether it's a season-long thing, but he's something you can rely on. Uh, like you said, I think that Duggan, there's something there. And when, you know, he plays Kansas this week, he'll kind of get an opportunity to, to hopefully free up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But but if you're Sonny Cumbie... And if you're that receiver room, you have to do better to kind of help your offense out because there's only so much you can be expected to do. And the one last, sure. the one last quick thing that I'll say about TCU is that I was a little weirded out by how they got beat off the ball on defense. Um, yeah, that was a little – that was concerning because – that was the thing that they were supposed to be great at, right? Right. Like they, they were. They weren't. They were the team that's not supposed to get pushed. Right. And and, I mean, it, it, sometimes it's just a game that happens. You know, sometimes you know weird games happen. And again, SMU's offensive line also played a hell of a game. I mean, that was a lot right. on them too. But I don't know. It's just something to watch heading forward. Is that you know while you know for SMU you feel the optimism of of beating them up front. It was also like. Man, I, how many plays did you feel? There, there was one play that I remember feeling Ro- Ross Blacklock on, and that was that mm-hmm. uh, one-yard quarterback sneak at the goal line um, yeah. and, where, where he kind of just broke everything up. But other than that, I just never really felt like that defensive line put its imprint on the game. And sure. um, that's not to say that I think that it's a long-term issue because I still think that we know that – I mean, we know Blacklock is good, even though he's coming off of the Achilles. We know that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we know what Shamik Blackshear can do. And we know we saw what Terrell Cooper could do a year ago. So there's proven pieces here, but we just have to see it more consistently before we can kind of assume that TCU's just going to go and dominate everybody on defense and be a contender. So anyway, uh, to, to wrap things up, uh, uh, nah, you know, sometimes we just have to get talking SMU football and then we go for another 20 minutes. What can I say? <laughs> Number 12, UTSA. Number 11, UTEP. Number 10, Texas State. Number 9, Rice. Number 8, Texas Tech. Number 7, TCU. Number 6, Houston. Number 5, Texas A&M. Number 4, North Texas. Number 3, Baylor. Number 2, SMU. And the number 1, Texas Longhorns-ish. As always, you can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Dave Campbells. You can find us on Twitter at DCTF. You can subscribe to our magazine at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. I'm going to go to bed now uh, and uh, get some well-earned rest. Man. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll, we'll be back with you guys again on Wednesday. Thanks. You, thank you. Oh my gosh. It's, it's falling apart. I've not that I said the word asleep. I'm, I'm falling asleep in front of you, but <laughs> thanks as always to everyone for joining us. And we will talk to you again on Wednesday.